This is Jeremy from the Nerd Out Loud podcast, and I pay money to Patreon every month just to help alleviate the guilt I feel from not listening to I Doubt It with Dolomore. And Brittany, we're worried about you. Blink twice if you're being held against your will. We're here to help. The following broadcast may contain free thinking and open-minded discussion, ideas, skepticism, and adult subject matter. Topics will be discussed using adult language, sometimes gratuitously. Get ready to move the conversation forward. This ain't your granddad's news and comment show. This is I Doubt It with Dalamore. Here we are, episode 108 of I Doubt It with Dalamore. Thanks for joining us. I am your host, Jesse Dalamore. And sitting across from me, directly across from me, is my lovely and talented, beautiful and honorable co-host couldn't think of anything else Brittany page that was a lot to live up to i feel like (laughs) so now i'm stressed have i set the bar a little high yes (laughs) i'm not sure what to do now just be yourself okay i'll try just take it easy Mm -hmm. relax okay and do as i say as Uh, always uh, no (laughs) Mm. well then it's gonna go terribly (laughs) (laughs) all right then who cares throwing caution to the wind So last time on the show, everybody, we talked, uh, I kind of admonished everybody to go and like the Facebook page if you hadn't already, and it worked out well for us. We we did get some additional likes, and I appreciate that. Along with that, we also asked for, if you listen to the show and you haven't yet gone and reviewed us on iTunes, we ask that you go do that. And while we didn't get a ton, we did get one, and I wanted to read that to show what level of awesome participation you can have and you can take part in by going and reviewing us on iTunes. And you can even get credit on the show, apparently, right? That's another incentive. Oh, right. Then we will drop your username, which... <laughs> oh, I, I wasn't planning on doing that. I just... Oh. They, they know the credit is... is for them right, because right. they know that they wrote it. So it's just it's private pride that you can feel contributing and having your contribution recognized on the show. Right. How about okay. That? that a little more explained. Right, right. Okay, Good so here it is. This is the review. I think the most important thing about this podcast is that they discuss current topics. And it's fun. I enjoy listening to Jesse Dollimore and Brittany Page <laughs> as much as I enjoy Anderson Cooper. Wow. In the same sentence as AC. That is awesome. We've made it. Both shows have a great take on the latest events. Jesse and Brittany bring up topics I haven't heard about, but I want to know more about. Thanks, guys. That's awesome. I don't know if they wrote it how I read it, but that's how I read it. It's a little, it's a little uh, goofy. Not the review, but it's goofy. I think being called reading your name in a review, but it's first and last name. Yes, like Anderson Cooper. I wonder how long it took for that to wear off, being a little goofy for him. Yeah, like he's not known as Anderson anymore. It's Anderson Cooper. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, it's kind of weird because I have there are many, many people that I know who call me Dollamore. And that's not the reason why it's I doubt it with Dollamore. Mm-hmm. It's I doubt it with Dollamore because I doubt it. It just it just it goes with Dollamore. Yeah, it was a lot of alliteration. It worked right. really well. Where if something was like I just 
think it's juicy with Jesse. I would have, you know, <laughs> if that had made any Yikes. sense. <laughs> I don't know what that show would be about. It doesn't seem appropriate. So, so I went with I Doubt It with Dollamore. So mm-hmm. I do have a lot of friends and not even people who were in the Marine Corps with me. Jesse was a Marine, everybody. <laughs> um, but obviously, in when you're in the military, most people refer to you by your last name. Right. In fact, there's lots of people with whom I, I served in the Marine Corps who I, I didn't even know their, their first name. All I knew was their last. Right. Because their first name is their rank. <laughs> Corporal, sergeant, whatever. Yeah. So that becomes their first name. Right. Yeah. Right. But I do have this weird contingency of friends who call me, even women, who mm-hmm. just call me mm-hmm. Dollamore. And when I get introduced to their friends, it's this is Dollamore. And that's always been kind of, I don't hate it or dislike it. Mm-hmm. It's just a weird, that's kind of different because most people still call me Jesse. Right. Yeah. It's kind of interesting. But this is kind of uh, along the same lines as you have a friend. Right. That you always call her by her first and last name. Yeah, it's kind of funny because she remarked just the other day we were texting and she said, you know, ever since we were kids, you've always called me by my first and last name, like during conversations. Right. And so I started going back through our texts and I do it even in texts. (laughs) Like, it's crazy. I don't know why I started doing it, but now it just feels weird for me to just say her first name. It's like I'm right. not identifying the correct person unless I say both her first and last well, name. Well, let's let's g- g- give an example. We won't say her name. We'll say her name is Jane Doe. Right. So in a text, you would text her and say, hey, Jane Doe, what are you doing today? Right. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you want me to find another example? <laughs> I'll, this might be bad, but I'll open the text and... Well, maybe I should not spring things on you when you're not expecting... You know, that that would probably be a little better so it's not an awkward pregnant pause. <laughs> right. So she was talking about which car she was. She's test driving cars right now and she's going to buy a car. And I said, nice. Jane Doe is a high roller. Like just. Right. OK. I'll In get... a text to her. <laughs> right. And then we were planning to hang out and it didn't work out. And I said, boo, Jane Doe. Like. Right. It's just I don't know. It's a weird thing. I, I think it's funny. And we're we're protecting her anonymity. We are protecting her anonymity. And I said the word right. You did. On the first try. No editing here, See, everybody. Here is another case of where I would love to have that drop. <laughs> no. I, I could do it. No, 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 no. No, I'm no. gonna get it. No. All right, I won't. But it would t- probably take me too long anyway. Right. There's just been times on the show where I read something and I get stuck saying a word incorrectly and I can't say it correctly. Right, right. And then Jesse has to correct me. And then he records it and saves them. Yes. So that he can blackmail me later. Well, here's... It's funny. Even now, like I used to miss... God damn. Oh, it's happening to you? Yes. (laughs) Revenge. I used to mispronounce the word magazine. (laughs) And I would say mazagine. (laughs) And even just now, when I went to say the word magazine... You feel anxious? I feel... Well, especially... Now, if I'm just using the word, it's fine. But if I'm talking about how I used to mispronounce it... Right. I will have my mispronunciation in my head, and I can't fucking get rid of it. So I'll have to think, pause, magazine, (laughs) so I don't fuck it up and say mazagine again. Yeah, that sounds like a problem. Yeah, well... Only if I think about it. When I was a kid, I couldn't say squirrel. That's a tough one. There's a video out there, a YouTube video that, go and check this out. It's Germans trying to say the word squirrel. 
So maybe you're just, it's your German heritage that's right. shining through. Right. No? Yeah, I think I have a German heritage. You don't? I, or is it more Scandinavian? I heard that I have a German heritage once before, but I don't have any proof of that. Right. Maybe we should get a DNA. We're really running far afield yeah, here. Yeah, okay. So before we spiral out of control, I want to address something that happened on last week's show. We had a little segment on a new term being being talked about called sharentine, where a parent overshares the life and misdeeds and accomplishments and everything of their child's life via social media or even what is commonly referred to as a mommy blog now. And there was a little bit of pushback and a discussion on the post about it on the Facebook page. Right. So we got a comment on the website from someone named Mark. And this is what they said. Regarding the sharing of information on the particular syndrome and dealing with that as a parent, until you have children, you will never get what is happening. Uh, I'm going to stop you right there, Mark. And anyone else who agrees with Mark, that's very presumptuous. You presume that I don't have children because you don't see children all over my Facebook wall. That would be an incorrect assumption. I do have kids, but I choose not to have them on my wall for the very reasons that we're talking about right now. Furthermore, I'm not saying that my decision is the best for everyone. I, I have lots of friends who have kids and post their pictures of their kids online. I don't have a problem with that. It's when it gets oversharing and when it gets to a point that I think it could be dangerous and not well thought out. That's the problem I have. Right. So I'm going to read the next sentence and then I will jump in with something. <laughs> um, so until you have children, you will never get what is happening. You may say, oh, I get it. I am going to be different when I am a parent. I thought the same thing before I had a child of my own and have made too many public apologies for my words of quote unquote wisdom in the past. So I'm going to stop. Now it's me talking, right. not the reading the comment. Um, this whole you'll never understand until oh, you yeah. have experienced it. Right. So, you know, do you think that your friends don't understand a story that you've told from your past unless they have experienced exactly what you've experienced? Right. Or do you have friends that are different from you that you talk to that are able to empathize with you and understand your background and and, and relate to you right. despite not being exactly like you or having experienced exactly what you have? I know most of my friends are different from me and haven't experienced what I have, yet I still expect that they understand me. Well, it's kind of the benefit of being a sentient being. <laughs> right. We have the ability... The ability and maybe the unique ability to empathize, right? To to try to to think about what it would be like to walk a mile in that person's shoes. For instance, you don't a a drug and alcohol counselor doesn't have to have had been a a drug addict or an alcoholic to be able to empathize and treat a patient. Right. And well, the whole therapy industry is predicated on the fact that you can relate to anyone. Someone right. can come in with any kind of background and all you need to do is try to understand them, be willing to understand them, and it'll work out. And it's also, do you do you want a doctor to treat you only if they have had cancer? Only if they have been through chemotherapy? Like only if they have the ailment that right. you have? They'll never understand. 
Right. They will. Of course. We're human beings. We, we're capable of that. So that whole argument about anything, not just, oh, you'll never understand if you, unless you have kids. Also, we've all been a kid. That's exactly We've right. We've all been parented. That's right. So we know what worked, what didn't, what may not be great, what's good. What you did and did not appreciate about what your parents did. Now, I would assume that everyone who listens to this show didn't grow up in a household where social media was a thing. Right. Because not a lot of kids listen to the show. And anybody who's an adult existed in a time where social media wasn't a wasn't a thing so thankfully right no shit go ahead okay so mark continues also i'm sorry but you do own your children they are your property and responsibility until such a time as they are their own person If a child is their own person from the moment of birth, then there is no reason to teach them or show them any form of living in this world. I respectfully agree with about 1% of your opinions. (laughs) And I also know that when you are parents yourselves, things will look dramatically different. Right. On the 1% comment, let me tell you, Mark, that puts you in a category of agreeing with far more of what I say than my main, <laughs> the, the main audience, right. the, than the rest of the audience. That's true. Because I think that my audience probably agrees with about with about a quarter of one percent of what I say. Uh oh. So you join the club. You are you're probably the president of the I doubt it with Dollamore fan club, sitting at one percent. Yes. Thank you. Thank you for that. So. Related to owning your kids, um, you know, this is, you don't own your kids. Yeah, I don't, there's no other way to say it other than you do not own your kids. Yeah, I mean, if you try to treat your kid any way that you want because you own them, if you try to beat them, abuse them in any way, you don't feed them, uh, you will be arrested. Right. Well, I think Louis C.K. said it best. I got to feed her. <laughs> She's got to eat. When your kid won't eat, you, you just go crazy because you have a physical need to feed them. It's an instinct. And when they're sitting there just looking at their food, you're like, just fucking eat it! <laughs> You'll die, you idiot! Eat the food! <laughs> and I like it. It doesn't matter. Put it in your face. They have your footprint at the hospital. They know that I have you. I'm not allowed to let you die, you piece of shit. Eat it! You have a social security number. You're on the grid, motherfucker. Eat. (laughs) If you're skinny, I go to jail. Do you understand? So that perfectly illustrates the point. And it's that, you know, you do have a responsibility because you brought this person into the world, but they are still their own person. They have their own social security number. They have their own fingerprints. Their own identity. Right. They are their own person. Well, and it's the identity thing that comes down. It's th- when they go on, and even if you were correct, which you're not, even if, and I'm, th- that was to Mark, even if even if you, uh, you were correct about the fact that once they can make their own decisions, then they become their own person and not your property, well, the things that you did when they were your property, quote unquote, will harm them or has the potential to harm them when they become their own person. No child, imagine a world where a child grows up and is pissed off at his parents and says, Mom, I'm angry. Well, what is it, little Johnny? Why are you so mad? 
I'm mad because you didn't blog enough about my insecurities and problems <laughs> as a child. Right. I mean, in what fucking world? <laughs> well, that's the thing. Mark says they are your property until such a time they are their own person. So you can share about them before they're 18 online, but then after they're 18, they suddenly, that, that line is suddenly when you can't. Well, say the line again. What did he say? They are your property and responsibility until such time as they are their own person. So they're not their own person at five years old. That's what he's saying. It's just, listen, I'm, while I agree with you, I'm not disrespecting your, your opinion. I think it's wrong, but that's the whole point of this show is moving the conversation forward. We can, we can disagree, but as long as we're having the conversation, it's going to make things better. This actually reminds me of a situation. I know someone who had a parent write about the abuse they experienced as a child at the hands of the other parent. Mm -hmm. This was after they were 18. The parent wrote about this. And, you know, taking that into consideration, this person was very upset because it was their their life yeah. that was being written about and put onto the Internet. So is this inappropriate to mark only because that individual was 18? Had it been before the age of 18, it would have been appropriate for that person's life to be on display. Right. But when they became, quote unquote, their own person at 18, then it's somehow not appropriate. Yeah. It, I don't see the distinction just because of age. It baffles me. It is still someone's identity. It is still someone's business. It is still someone creating an identity for that person online without their consent. Yeah. And that's not okay. Okay. So anyway, continuing on. As far as she does not have this syndrome, her child does, is a very erroneous statement. Erroneous. Erroneous. <laughs> Erroneous on both counts. <laughs> hey, listen, Vince Vaughn's got to chime in. When he has an opinion about something, he wants to chime in. Erroneous. Erroneous. Erroneous on both counts. Right. She, referring to the mom, does have this syndrome. Her child has no idea anything is wrong with him yet. Therefore, she has to be his advocate and be the syndrome on behalf of her child. She is the only one who has to deal with it on his behalf until he understands how to manage it himself. Just my two cents on the subject. Hmm. Well, thank you for your participation, for sure. Um, like I said, it's it's not the agreeing that matters. It's the conversation. We appreciate you chiming in, whether it be on, on dollamore.com, which is where this comment comes from, or on the Facebook page. Um, there were actually other... I took a, a screenshot of this particular comment, put it as a photo on the Facebook page, and a lot of listeners, they chimed in and had something to say about it. Right. So we'll do the first one from Jeremy. Yeah. Jeremy from the Nerd Out Loud podcast. Um, he had something, I think, very profound um, and well said. Right. He to, said. To say. <laughs> right. He said, first of all, when I listened to this segment of the show, I actually panicked and went through my public Facebook posts to make sure I wasn't contributing to this whole sharenting thing. Secondly, it's not really fair to say that unless you have experienced something, parenting, firsthand, you can't have an opinion on it or understand it. Certainly, parents offer a unique perspective that someone without children may not have. That said, dismissing someone's opinion wholesale and saying that they would never understand is a tad extreme. 
I'm a parent, and as I said above, something you said in this show, by non-parents even, gasp, gave me insight into an aspect of how my behavior may have a long-lasting effect on my child that I hadn't fully thought through and inspired me to actually change my behavior. Lastly, no, we don't own our kids. That doesn't even make sense. As parents, we have a responsibility to care for them and keep them safe, but they are not in any way property. If my kid has a cold, then my kid has a cold not me. I would even argue the opposite, that early and often parents should be teaching their kids that they are their own person because it teaches them accountability, that they are in control of their choices. Anything less than that seems to me that it would be in opposition to raising a healthy contributing member of society. Anyway, as always, thanks for moving the conversation forward. At least in my case, I can tell you it's working. Jeremy made many good points there, and the one I want to talk about is the fact that Related to the woman who will remain anonymous, who Brittany knows, um, and Mark saying that she does have the syndrome. Because I said it's her, her son that has the syndrome, not her. Right. And Mark, he rebutted that and said, no, absolutely, she does have the syndrome. Well, Jeremy makes a great point that when your kid has a cold, you don't have a cold. Your kid does. If your child has HIV... You don't have HIV. Your child does. Right. You're not even experiencing through the same prism and lens what your child is experiencing. You're going through as an outside observer, as the parent, you are struggling. You are suffering in a certain way. But it's not the way that the child is. Right. And that's why, you know, it's still important for parents who have children who have things that are happening that they get support. And, yeah. and I'm not saying absolutely right. And I'm not judging people that, that try to get support. I'm just saying, you know, maybe in some situations when kids will be affected in certain ways into adulthood that they may not want everyone to know about that. Maybe that is a situation where support may not be the best in a, you know, forum where everyone is involved in your business or your child's business. Excuse me. It's more aptly put or it's, also aptly put that getting support is great but not at the expense of or not at the possibility of the expense of your child in the future right so we got another comment and these next few comments that i'm going to read were all very long uh so i'm not going to read all of them but they are on the facebook page on and, the comments right and i've pinned I've pinned this particular post right at the top of the page so you don't have to search around for it. Right. So if you want to go read them, respond to them, have at it. So uh, listener Stephanie says, Oversharing has always been with us. Now it's just that our in real life circle has expanded to an online global community that isn't going away. And it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that it happens so fast that our code of personal conduct needs to catch up. I think that's a great point. She says, it's been my experience that responsible parents will try to avoid sharing a situation that could embarrass their kid even before the kid can vocalize his or her preference. Perceptive parents will know if they have an extroverted child who wouldn't be bothered by the attention or if they have a more reserved child who wouldn't be down with that. So those of us who see something online and think, yikes, maybe they shouldn't have put that out there, might keep in mind that we may not know this child's personality, and maybe it's not a big deal. FYI, I don't think this applies to the two-year-old with the medical condition. That shouldn't be out there for the masses, in my opinion. Keep that in a small group, a small support group setting. Well, so it's good. It's also a divergent opinion for me. Right. You know, it's not necessarily in full agreement and that 
that goes to show that we don't mind other opinions. Right. I mean, we're we're threshing this out in great detail right now and spending a lot of time on it because we want the other side to be heard too. Right. So this is from listener Ben, and he says, I don't disagree that the parents should be advocates, but with such a sensitive matter at hand, it seems as though they may be oversharing, and I think that could be harmful in the long run. This is listener that we will call Kay because we received this in a private message, and we're all about protecting anonymity. Yeah, we, we're just not. Hey, you said it. We're just not. Uh, I'm not certain if she wanted it um, out there for everybody, so we'll keep it private. On the topic of sharenting, I agree that people generally overshare. I cringe when I see people post pictures or videos that look to me like they belong in a family library, not the foreverness of the internet. That is an awesome point. The foreverness of the internet. Even if this woman was to delete her blog altogether, Google Cache still has a copy of it. It's still there. It's not. It doesn't go away. So this kid and this kid's name and this kid's situation is out there forever when he goes to get a job when he it's out it's out there there's no way to get rid of it i actually show my children a picture i intend to post and ask if they mind uploading i just consider it a common courtesy since it's their face and i'm sharing i have also found myself perplexed by the notion that people own their children i have always felt that my job as a parent is to nurture support and love my children while providing the foundation from which they'll manifest their truest selves very good Right. I like that comment because it points to the fact that these that kids are their own person and that you're putting pictures of them on the Internet and it's their own identity. And so, hey, can I post this picture of you is like giving them the ability to consent right. to having that information be shared so that when they grow up and have a consciousness or they're able to get their own Facebook page, like that Sharenting article said, they don't already have an online identity before they're even able to create their own social media. So, look, all good points. Uh, we really appreciate the participation on the Facebook page and through messaging with the Facebook page. Um, it, it's good. And listen, Mark, like I said, absolutely thank you for, for agreeing with even 1%. Yeah. And thanks for helping us move the conversation by dissenting. It doesn't hurt my feelings. It certainly doesn't uh, get me fired up that someone disagrees. I expect that. And I hope that we're able to change hearts and minds or shift opinions one way or the other. The conversation is what's important. Right. I just want to make one more note. Yeah, yeah. I know that this whole trend of not uh, posting photos of your kids on social media, it is becoming a trend actually in the opposite direction because I have a friend who within her family, there's a certain app that you can download. I don't know what it's called. And this this person doesn't post photos of their kids on social media. They use this app where their only friends are their family members. And then through this app, they can send all the pictures of their kids directly to their family members rather than sharing it for everybody. Yeah, yeah. So they're still maintaining that in real life circle, even with distance, and they're just cutting out the the global community. It's great. So I think that those kind of things are going to become more popular as people kind of become fearful of the internet and, and what can happen when you put your stuff out there. Right. Dollamocracy 2016, facing down pessimistic politics with realistic optimism. Ooh, we are getting close. We are getting so close. Uh, Hillary, there is talk that she is wanting to 
to uh, announce officially in April. Yes, the beginning of April. Yeah. And um, we're going to talk about Ted Cruz, who did something kind of goofy this last week. But also the New York Times. This is breaking news. News. The New York Times just announced that they have found out that he is going to announce tomorrow. Yes. Monday, the day that you are, well, if you're loyal, you're listening to this on Monday. <laughs> yes. Well, it feels like Christmas. Yeah. It's, it feels like Christmas. The time is finally here. I'm so excited. Brittany is stupid excited. That's yes. the level of excitement that she has. I cannot wait for all the blunders and the debates. Yeah. And just, it's going to be so good. I live for this time. Well, I like when they become official candidates because... It's a different vibe. Yes. There's a different whole messaging that comes out. It's They're really laying it on thick. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of missteps. And yes. And that is what we're going to wait for. So Ted Cruz was given a speech. And, well, this is part of his speech, and this is kind of what took place. And the Obama-Clinton foreign policy of leading from behind. The whole world's on fire. The world is on fire. Yes. Your world is on fire. But you know what? Your mommy's here, and everyone's here to make sure that the world you grow up in is even better. Uh, and then all just the mindless clapping. How about you're here to your mom is here to put out the fire or something? She thinks the world's on fire. You yeah. need to make sure she doesn't think that. She doesn't know it's a metaphor, dickhole. <laughs> you know. First of all, let me, let me before I say anything or make any comments about this jackass and his voice and everything else. I'm going to make fun of. Um, <laughs> the reason I have not covered Ted Cruz in a in a previous Dollamocracy segment is because I don't believe him to be a viable candidate. And maybe that's arrogant on my part, that I'm withholding certain information and certain candidates from my audience. But I don't want to waste time on someone who doesn't stand a fucking chance of getting a nomination in the general election to be president of the United States for the Republican Party. This guy, to say that he's a firebrand, is giving him too much credit. This guy is a publicity whore. He he tries to take the most extreme position on everything, right-wing extreme position, just to get a headline. He's horrible. Well, that's what he is, is known for. And Absolutely. he's going to enter this race, and he is the most right-wing of yeah. anyone. And, and he, he makes it apparent that he takes the most right position on every issue. So he's given a speech. He says the world is on fire, which is re- re- uh, there's a, a response in the crowd from a little girl. The whole world's on fire. What a little angel. And she's clearly. Well, first of all, it's it's, it's odd that she's actually listening to the words he's saying. Mm-hmm. She's not just tuning out this guy whose voice sounds like. Billy Crystal doing an imitation of Sammy Davis Jr. Right. And the Obama-Clinton foreign policy. And the Obama-Clinton foreign policy, baby. Just, I can't even, that hollow, cartoony voice. Listen, if he doesn't make it as president or in politics, he certainly has a job waiting for him in Hollywood as a voiceover artist for some cartoon. Right. Because he sounds like fucking Squidward. (laughs) And the Obama-Clinton foreign policy 
of leading from behind. He, it's more like Squidward is what it is. Yeah. Yeah, it's terrible. So I just wish, and I you expressed this to me, that you really wished he would have... He could have said something better at the end of the speech to gently make the girl feel better feel better about what he said right well one i don't like that that kid is there uh and i know you disagree with that uh but i just kind of feel like why is the kid there why does the kid need to be there right listening to ted cruz talk about how bad obama is and how obamacare is setting the i mean this is this girl gonna have a chance at free thinking <laughs> you know when she's there this young listening to this guy like talk about how the world is ending because of a president like will right. you relax guy everything's yeah. gonna be okay but yeah i feel like he should have been more Talking about how, no, the world really is not on fire. It's okay. Please. I just am talking about nonsense. Yeah, I don't know. It's very weird. Very weird. And, well, you know, he's a jackass. So so what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, we're going to get really excited because tomorrow he's announcing. And we we can only wait now for the others because I'm sure they will be announcing shortly after. They have to get in the game, yeah, right? Yeah, well, well, that's what happens is once the one domino falls, the others have to jump right in place because they don't want to miss their moment. Right. So here is we're expecting uh, Marco Rubio of Florida and Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky to enter the race next month. Yeah. And we're also expecting Jeb Bush, uh, Scott Walker, and Chris Christie. So this is what the field is starting to shape up to look like. Yeah. So Jeb Bush is the other thing I wanted to talk about. Glad you mentioned him. Uh, Jeb Bush, it's kind of an odd thing. Jeb Bush, last uh, couple, a few episodes ago, we talked about um, like 44% of people, I think it was 44%, that leave their religion for another in adulthood. Or by the time... That 44% of people die with a different religion into which they were born. Right. And Jeb Bush can be counted among that percentage. Jeb Bush converted for his wife to Catholicism. Yep, 20 years ago. Which is weird to me. Right. Because your whole life you think you're in the right religion and then you change your mind and switch teams late in the game. Well, it's the same God. Yeah, but... It, it from is. from the religion he went to to that he is now. Yeah, I can tell you this, and I don't know exactly what denomination he was prior, but growing up, I was ta- we were taught and 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 very aggressively that Catholics are they pray to saints and that's devil worship and it's right. no good, and <laughs> it's no good, no good. Yeah, I think that's the official stance. Well. <laughs> Jeb Bush thinks it's pretty great, and the New York Times did a special report on his Catholicism, and he says, it gives me a serenity and allows me to think clearer. It's made me a better person. 20 years after Jeb Bush converted to Catholicism, the religion of his wife, following a difficult and unsuccessful political campaign that had put a strain on his marriage, his faith has become a central element of the way he shapes his life and frames his views on public policy. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is problematic. I mean, look, going back, and if, even if you look at the way his brother ran his administration, we make jokes on this show. Last episode, we talked with Ryan Bell about having a, a bat phone to God. And George W. Bush kind of treated his office as though he had a bat phone to Jesus. He talked about praying and getting answers from God, from God, uh, on what to do in the matters of foreign policy. 
That's dangerous. And look, shamefully, I voted for him twice. I'm not embarrassed about the first time that I voted for him, but the second time was a bummer. I <laughs> I made a mistake. Right. So for Jeb Bush, many of his priorities during his two terms as governor of Florida aligned with those of the Catholic Church, including his unsuccessful effort to force a hospital to keep Terry Schiavo on life support, as well as a less well-known and also unsuccessful effort to appoint a guardian for the fetus of a developmentally disabled rape victim and to prevent a 13-year-old girl from having an abortion. He even, during his first year in office in 1999, signed a law creating a Choose Life license plate. He differed from his church significantly and openly over capital punishment. The state, Florida, executed 21 prisoners on his watch, the most under any Florida governor since the death penalty was reinstated in 1976. Wow. Which is, that's problematic for me. So taking care of biz for some people, other people not so much. <laughs> He's taking care of some biz. So that's that little little nugget of information for you for um for the upcoming presidential cycle that he is a nutter butter Catholic. This is interesting, and I don't know if you knew this. As a governor, he established what he said was the nation's first faith-based prison, encouraging religious activity of any faith tradition in an effort to reduce criminal behavior. Yeah, that's awesome because that works really well. Since ninety, like ninety-nine percent of inmates, maybe even more, ninety-nine point something percent of inmates are religious. They are already believers. Also. That's not the place when someone is captive, literally captive, to be pushing religion upon them in your capacity as a government. That, that is wholesale unconstitutional behavior by a government. Goddamn. Right. Well, he says, you hear people say, I don't want to impose my faith. Well, it's not an imposition of faith. It's who you are. Ugh. Cop-out bullshit. So. so we'll see. Listen, we've reported on the fact that he has put people in high levels of his campaign staff who are pro-gay rights, who are gay and lesbian themselves. So we'll see. I'm, I'm, that's why I'm so eager. I'm not stupid excited like you or whatever phrase I just used, <laughs> but I'm very excited to see just what's going to come from this, this election cycle. It's fascinating that we have one person we know of in the Democratic camp and, you know, however many Republicans who are going to tear themselves apart in primary. So good to go. So there is an organization named CAGE in Great Britain. We have talked at length about Majid Nawaz, who is a British moderate Muslim, former extremist. But there is an organization named CAGE, which is kind of like CARE in the United States, which is the Council on American-Islamic Relations. And, well, CAGE... What role do they serve in, in the UK? CAGE is an independent advocacy organization working to empower communities impacted by the war on terror. The organization highlights and campaigns against state policies, striving for a world free from oppression and injustice. Who could argue with any of that? Sounds well, real nice. Majid Nawaz would argue with a lot of what their actual positions are. They posture and position themselves as a moderate organization, and there is a man who is a leader in their organization called Hasim Qureshi. And recently, he was on a BBC program, a news program, like an interview panel. And he starts off with that type of language. Very, very middle of the road, very moderate, 
It's very peaceful. All we want is good tidings and goodwill toward man. And then later in the interview, when he starts getting more pointed questions from the host, this took place. Your spiritual mentor and guide is Hatim al-Haddad. Uh, and you've been close to him in the past, correct? He's one uh, scholar in the UK that but I you, think has an important you, you've, you've taken mentoring and guidance from it. He believes the following, that uh, female genital mutilation is not only acceptable, it's probably obligatory, that you should not question a man's right to hit his wife, that non-Muslim prisoners can be taken as slaves, that Jews are descendants of pigs, that death by stoning is okay for adultery, and that homosexuality is a crime against humanity. Have you been guided to believe that too? I mean, I've never been guided to believe any of those things. Do you believe any of that? I, you know, I'm not a theologian. I can't no, I'm not that. asking you a theologian. I, I'm asking if you believe yeah. any of that. I, you know, I have, I have you know, absolutely. Uh, uh, I'm, uh, 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 I'm not a theologian. What the hell does that have to do with anything of what he's being asked? And I'm, we're going to continue the clip, but I wanted to set the tone. He's being asked, do you believe a woman should be stoned to death for the crime, the crime, quote unquote, of adultery. Right. And, and he, he can't answer. He will not answer. He says, I'm not a theologian. Right. And he's not even being asked, what is the position of Cage? What is the position of this religion? He's saying, what do you think yes. about it? And he can't even say, yeah, that's bad. Yeah, I don't think it's <laughs> I don't think it's he can't. We keep saying he can't. He won't. I'm yeah, sorry. He, no, I was saying the same thing. He won't say it. Right. Because he doesn't want to... Um, unalign himself with his faith which does say a woman should be able to be beaten by her husband and that adultery is punishable by stoning by death it's it's appalling so this is the man who is one of the faces of this moderate organization and as we go forward and i play the rest of this clip i want you to listen to how he will not answer very simple questions all this to illustrate that he is not a moderate. He is not seeking peace. No idea what you're talking about in relation to that. Well, you've that, said that. that, I, that, I, that I, I, mean, well, you've said that under me, the proper me, Sharia law process yeah. that you would support the death penalty. Let, let me, Correct. Let me, let me. You know, actually, it's interesting you, you talk about that because one of the things that actually came out of that that interview that I did with Julian Assange was a lot of criticism by by scholars who said to me. Why are you talking about issues you know nothing about? I'm not a theologian. Well, you, you said know, you supported my, my, the death my, penalty. My, 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 I'm not a theologian at all. But what? you don't have to be a theologian yeah. to have a view on the death penalty. And it implied that under a proper I, Sharia law process, yeah. you would support death by stoning, would you? I do a lot of work, actually, would against you? the death penalty. Would you? What I'm about and you what said to Julian Assange you supported it. Is, is due process of the law. Okay, and that is what the, the point that I was trying to make with that answer was to talk about due process. That's a very, very important thing as far as we're concerned. When you don't, have, but after we've had due process under a Sharia law system, would you I support stoning? As far as I'm concerned, the, the Sharia law isn't practiced anywhere in the world. You have to give me an example okay. of where Sharia law is being practiced correctly. That's a in, that's a weasel answer, isn't it's it? It's not a weasel, weasel answer. It's I'm a simple to, question. No, if you had due question. process under see, Sharia law, no. would you support stoning for adultery? <laughs> It's what, a simple question. What, you see, Andrew, what we're talking about here, okay, is is how counterterrorism policy is affecting our youth here in the UK. What you've done, okay, is that you're trying to conflate, you know, kind of issues within Islam 
as a kind of theological issues within Islam with with what we're talking about. Well, but the thing what is, I'm is those two well, what are I'm very, trying very to find out what is whether need. you are putting up a no. moderate front and behind it uh, hangs a jihadist agenda. That's what I've been asking and, you, but you won't okay, answer my questions. No, what we're saying, okay, is that you cannot simply conflate issues of theology and religion with violence on the streets of London, oh. which is exactly what I you most, are trying to I do. I think most people no, regard exactly studying for adultery is not an issue of theology, but a matter of uh, <laughs> civilization. What do you make of what you've heard? I'll in first. That's a weasel answer, isn't it? That's so good. <laughs> issues? He's... <laughs> You know, saying that's a weasel answer, isn't it? It just sounded like so polite. Like it sounded like he was telling him you're so handsome. Well, to you, it sounds like that. If you're British and the accent is just par for the course, it doesn't sound as sophisticated as it does to us with our 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 gutter, our gutter accent that we have. Yeah, I just feel like that man could have like called me an effing C word and then I would be like, <laughs> oh, sir, you're What's so kind. The, it's like this. It's like Nikki. Our our faithful European listener with the beautiful accent. Yes, we had. Listen, I we've listened to it probably a hundred times. This is the other thing, and this isn't. This is completely sideways from what we're talking about here. Getting on accents. Goddamn this show. Um, we, we there were listeners who who were in town from out of town. They were talking to us about that particular promo, that particular intro to the show. And they wanted to know who it was because of her beautiful voice. Yes, yes. So my whole thing is just, it sounds sophisticated to us because, you know, we have hard R's. Right. <laughs> okay, so Sam Harris blogged about this, and I will put his blog on the Facebook page. Like, yes. we put all the links on the Facebook page so you guys have access to all the information that we are sharing. So you should be following the Facebook page. Is the... A roundabout way that Brittany Page is, is trying to get to. That's the point. Right. Yeah. You just said my full name. And we <laughs> also put them on the Twitter as well. On the Twitter. On the Twitter. <laughs> on the Twitter. Right. Okay. So Sam Harris wrote, pay close attention to how reasonable and benevolent Qureshi sounds in the beginning. For the first 10 minutes or so, he comes off as a fine spokesman for a moderate Islam that has been unfairly stigmatized by Western paranoia. However, once he is asked to denounce the most despicable aspects of Sharia, can non-Muslims be taken as slaves? Should women be stoned to death for adultery? The mask suddenly slips. It is an amazing moment when shameless guile reaches the precipice of religious superstition. Qureshi is clearly afraid to misrepresent his faith, lest he blaspheme and break trust with all the religious maniacs standing at his back. In the end, he can't even pretend to have values remotely commiserate with our own. All he can muster is the lamest of dodges. I am not a theologian. I just think that Sam Harris wrote that so perfectly yeah. well, that I, I just everything. wanted to read it. Right. Yeah. Um, and it's true. It's it's a very inartful way to dodge the question, I'm not a theologian. And the guy doesn't let him away. He says, You don't have to be a theologian to have an, a viewpoint, a personal viewpoint on the death penalty. Right. That you don't have to. Right. Especially you don't have to be a theologian to say whether you believe a woman should be murdered via rocks being pummeled at her by a crowd of, of other men. You don't need to be a theologian. So this really just goes to show that the faces of organizations like CARE, like CAGE, these other quote-unquote, and I can't quote-unquote hard enough, 
moderate Muslim organizations. Because there is no criticism whatsoever for the hardline extremist views at all. Where a guy, a man, an honorable man who happens to be Muslim, Majid Nawaz, he does have criticisms. He does have alternative ways of thinking to get us to a place of civilization. And Cage does not. Cage does not at all traffic in that type of message. Right. So now, I mean, I'm starting to kind of rethink this whole podcast thing because we're not theologians. <laughs> so, I mean, can we really have opinions on these things? I mean, I'm just going to I'm going to take a stab in the dark and say it doesn't matter. I'm going to do it anyway. Oh, OK. Yeah? All right. We'll just keep going with it, I guess. <laughs> We'll see where it goes. So another story out of Great Britain. It was a worldwide story. However, North Northern Europe was really the only place that was able to see the solar eclipse that happened this past week. Which, by the way, I, I was up at 1.30 in the morning watching the live stream on YouTube or on my Google Chromecast. This episode's not even sponsored by Google Chromecast, but I just have such a boner for it. We're going to talk about it. Mm-hmm. So, uh... A, a, a primary school in England banned students from watching it, watching the solar eclipse, as to not offend their religious sensibilities. Right. Pupils, as the Telegraph oh, calls them, yeah. at North Primary School were stopped from watching the solar eclipse directly and had to observe it on screens instead. Wow. Sometimes known as Little India, Southall is a diverse community in West London with a large Hindi population. Although the head teacher would not comment on what the religious and cultural reasons were, some Hindu scriptures say that an eclipse makes believers impure. <laughs> and fundamentalists believe that they need to bathe immediately after an eclipse and chant the name of God to overcome the forces of darkness. However, parents said children were disappointed by the decision, arguing that religious superstition had been allowed to overshadow science. Phil Bellman, whose seven-year-old daughter goes to the school, told the Evening Standard, I am extremely upset about it. My child went in having spent an hour preparing and making up her pinhole camera. This is an issue about scientific matters versus religious superstition. I am outraged. Is it going to be Darwin next? Will we be like mid-America? <laughs> I think he means the the Midwest. <laughs> it's just funny how this this person is insulting Middle America. Well, it's rightly so, though. I mean, there are a lot of nutter butters who completely deny evolution. I know. I just think it's funny that you know this guy in London is like. Well, that it's such a well known thing that right. Middle America are just a bunch of assholes. Right. We don't want to be like Mid America. <laughs> Mid-America, gross. Well, while this this school, he says all this while the school is not allowing them to see a natural phenomenon <laughs> that has a, a very legitimate scientific explanation. We know exactly why. It's not even like a mystery. Ugh. Right. So they say the school said, although we are sorry for any disappointment, pupils were still able to watch the eclipse on screens in classrooms. So I don't know what that means. Well, now they don't have to wash the uncleanliness off of the sun being being blocked by the moon as the moon passed between the earth and the sun. That clearly is going to make people unclean, Brittany. 
How could you even deny such a thing? It's so obvious to everyone. Right. Well, this person says, I think in a reasonable society, if there is a case, however obscure, it would just apply to the parents included who would have elected to have their kids removed from that part of the day, as with anything else. But it wasn't an option. This was very last minute and a knee jerk reaction. Very weird. Well, it's as terrible as this is. It's nice to know that religious nutter butters don't just exist within my country, within the United States. Within mid-America. (laughs) Mid-America. And I live on the left coast of America. I live far away from mid-America. Los Angeles. I live in the hellscape of damnation known as the Los Angeles metropolitan area. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So speaking of religion... A report recently out from UCLA talks about college this year's freshman class are less religious than ever, and so are their parents. Right. Over a quarter of college freshmen say they have no religion. This makes them the least religious cohort in four decades of the surveys conducted by UCLA. Good news. Researchers at the Cooperative Institutional Research Program of the Higher Education Research Institute at UCLA... Uh, survey college freshmen each year on a range of topics, including religion. The 2014 survey results were released last month. They show that college freshmen in 2014 had the highest percentage of students identifying with no religion and the lowest percentage who saw themselves as spiritual. The survey also asked freshmen the religion of their parents. Each year, college freshmen report being less religious than their parents. As go the parents, so goes the child. Parents, too, have increasingly left religion. Yeah. So this gives people, some people, hope. People like us. It makes other people very upset. Right. But as far as social justice type issues, LGBT issues, all those things, it's very um, promising because, you know, a time will come very quickly where we look at the oppression of gay people and say, wow, people used to do that? Yeah. Wait, people think like that? Yeah. No, it's 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 awesome. I mean, listen, I've been talking about this, and I think the number that I've said on the show several times is that within 200 years, we will have passed evolutionarily or whatever, intellectually past religion. And I, you know, the great thing about making a statement like that is I'll be dead and I won't know whether I'm wrong. And everyone that you're telling that to will be dead yeah, and won't so, know if you're wrong. So I'm right about this. <laughs> <laughs> uh, hmm. I don't think that's how it works. But, but here's the deal. It's, it is religion almost singularly that's holding us back. Without religion, why would we have, an ad, why would we have uh, a prohibition against gays marrying one another? Why? Other than religion, why would we do that? It's only religion that calls, calls it an abomination and orders it a, a, a violation of the law that is worthy of death, of stoning. It's, it's, religion is a terrible, terrible thing. Ooh, we're not theologians. But, but I'm not a theologian. So. <laughs> anyway, it's, it's a good thing. I, I look at this as a good thing that this many young college students and their parents are among the, the the either non-believer or just unaffiliated. So moving right along, listen, we have covered a lot of stories about really old fucking people. <laughs> and here's another one. There is an old lady 
and she attributes her old advanced age. She's over 100 years old. She attributes her old age to her doctor, her doctor who she loves. She says, people try to give me coffee for breakfast. Well, I'd rather have a Dr. Pepper. Oh, oh, that kind of doctor. Yes, <laughs> yes. Elizabeth Sullivan fell in love with the soft drinks trademark 23 flavors when she was in her 60s. She says, I started drinking them about 40 years ago, three a day. Every doctor that sees me says they'll kill you, but they die and I don't. So, <laughs> oh so there must be a mistake somewhere, she says. That is awesome because she's outlived all of her doctors. Right. So she lives in Fort Worth, Texas, and she's celebrating her 104th year of life. She lives in mid-America. Yes. <laughs> she says, well, at 103, I didn't think I'd make it, but I'm still perking along. That's awesome. For her birthday, she got a very big surprise, a beautiful cake shaped like Dr. Pepper. Wow. Mm -hmm. So she didn't get a penis cake. <laughs> uh, no. Is she another woman who has also said that uh, the way to stay young is to not have a man in your life? Because we have a two, two separate stories of that. Apparently, it doesn't say that in the article. She just loves the Dr. Pepper. Yeah, she, she doesn't say that. Which, so. by the way, I don't like Dr. Pepper. It's It's... I mean, I'm not a big soda drinker. Either of us are not big soda drinkers. But Dr. Pepper's pretty gross. Mm, I like Coke. I know that, but we're talking about Dr. Pepper. What is your what is your feeling about Dr. Pepper? Yeah, I mean, I, I haven't had it since I was probably like in high school. So hmm. it's been a while. I probably haven't had it since then either, and it's because I think it's gross. Yeah, I think it's okay. I mean, whatever. You're wrong, Brittany. It's gross. I just, I don't like diet things. So anything that's a diet, I will not drink. Yeah, but Dr. Pepper is Dr. Pepper. It's not diet Dr. Pepper. I know. I'm saying I'll drink any kind of soda. Oh. But I just will, well, except for Pepsi and diet things. So you'll. <laughs> I don't like Sierra Mist either. So, so you Okay. So it's really, the, the list is broadening as we speak. Yeah. Well, I, right. I'm remembering things as I talk. Right. So on today's Florida Files, we have a woman who's very calm and, and put together <laughs> and just very upset because on her travels back from Venezuela, she was persecuted for no reason at all. It was both frightening and comical. The United States has declared war on Venezuela. And the United States has declared war on Venezuela. This is iPhone video of 52-year-old Karen Hounen on a tirade. Hounen started her rant halfway through her two-and-a-half-hour American Airlines flight to Miami. Blake Goodwin was sitting in the aisle seat right next to her. So that, that was the first time I was actually nervous for my safety, just because I was so in, in such in close proximity to the woman. Venezuela has been declared a national security threat. You're a national United security States threat. So you're aware. <laughs> As the plane began to descend, Hounen lights a smoke. 
Listen carefully, though, on how she blames it on another passenger. Can we get some help? Do you not blame him? Oh, yeah. He did it. Oh, my God. As we were landing, she was calling everyone fascists and capitalists. When the plane landed, Hallinan was booked and charged with disorderly conduct. According to the arrest report, she was yelling and uncooperative with local police. On Penn State University's website, Dr. Karen Hallinan is an associate professor of sociology, an alumni of Amherst and Boston College. Now, we did reach out to Penn State for comment, but they never got back with us. Meanwhile, Hallinan could face further charges because she was smoking on a commercial airplane. Reporting live at Miami International Airport, Angela Pellerano, NBC6, South Florida. So while this is hilarious. It definitely is hilarious. Um, I'm just concerned about her a little bit because what if she's like having a, a breakdown of some sort? She's cracking up. I mean, this is she's a highly educated person. Yeah, she has a decent uh, academic pedigree. I right. mean, Boston College, Amherst, good schools. Right. And then she's smoking on the plane. She's like, yeah, I just lit a cigarette and took a few puffs. Well, didn't she also? <laughs> here's the other thing. And this isn't in this report, but she has she gave reason why she was smoking on the plane, which <laughs> just uh, she what an idiot. This is the reason she gave for having smoked on the plane. Right. She said every other revolutionary smokes. Fidel, Daniel Ortega, Tomas Borges, <laughs> Che Guevara. Yeah, just <laughs> what, a, what an idiot. And and so uh, she says, and so that's one of the significance to identify with a revolutionary spirit. Right. Poisoning your body with cigarettes. Well, she says every other revolutionary. So apparently oh, right. she's a revolutionary. She, she's self-identifying and lumping herself in with the likes of Che Guevara and uh, Fidel Castro. Yes. She's a Penn State sociology professor. Yeah, so that would be concerning to me as if I had a professor like who had graded me and like tested me right. and then it comes out that they're behaving like this in public. Why were you allowed to test me and grade me? Well, it's it, here's the thing is that it's odd behavior going back to the maybe she's cracking up kind of a thing because she's an associate professor. She's not tenured. They can shit can her. Right. And she's acting out in a way that's Certainly not socially acceptable. I mean, goddamn. Right. And well, right now, uh, Penn State is investigating this situation. Yeah, so Looking at the reams of YouTube videos. <laughs> yeah. So what's her name again? Dr. Karen Halnon? H-A-L-N-O-N? Yes. <laughs> goddamn. Revolutionary. Revolutionary Professor Karen Halnon, everybody. Yes. Fl Florida files. And, flo and, and very... Very almost not Florida files. What if they pulled over and had her flown into Texas to to arrest her? Yeah. Well, then it would have been uh, not in the Florida files. Right. Then it would have been in mid-America. <laughs> <laughs> right. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us, everybody. We appreciate you joining in. Thanks for helping us move the conversation forward yet again. If you'd like to support the show other than listening twice a week for as long as your ears can take it, we would love you to stop by dollamore.com. Go on the left-hand side of the page there, and there is a search bar for Amazon.com. There, you can buy everything from books, 
to music, to Kindle, iPad ripoff devices. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Well, too late. It's already said. Every little bit goes a long way to supporting your favorite show filled with news. News. And ridiculous ass comments. For Brittany Page, I am Jesse Dollimore, and this has been I Doubt It. The whole world's on fire. The whole world's on fire?